Hello and welcome to Landscape Photography World, the podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography. I'm Grant Swinburne and I'll be your host on the show talking to landscape photographers about their motivations, likes and dislikes. I'm joined this week by Darren Spoonley, a seasoned Irish landscape photographer. Together we unpack his photographic journey, sparked at the age of 12, developing film and receiving his first camera. Specialising in landscapes and seascapes, Darren captures the perpetual beauty and unpredictability of nature. Beyond photography, he hosts a YouTube channel and an Irish photography podcast, connecting with talented individuals. Darren's mindful approach involves savouring nature's freedom, allowing meticulous composition consideration. As the founder of the Munster Landscape Photographers Island Group, he fosters a community of enthusiasts, organising meetups and competitions. Acknowledged by the Irish Photographic Federation, Darren remains committed to capturing and sharing the timeless beauty of the Irish landscape. We explore his creative journey, personal branding, overcoming creative blocks and humorous controversies, providing insights into his unique photographic style and business management. I hope you enjoy the show. G'day, Darren. Welcome to Landscape Photography World. How are you going? I'm very good, Grant. Thank you very much for having me on. Hello from the other side of the world. Yeah. Hello to you from Australia, where it's very hot and sweaty. It's it's about 8.30 at night, and it's still about 27 degrees Celsius and about 88% humidity. So it's not real pleasant where I am it's right now. It's a hot one. Yeah, it's a hot one. Yeah, we're we're... In the middle of our winter, January seems to be the best point now from a winter point of view. So, yeah, it's cold and frosty, but we've no snow because we're in Ireland. It's too windy. I think the snow just doesn't want to stay here. It goes off elsewhere. So, yeah. Fair it's, enough. Uh, polar opposite, summer and winter. But, yeah, good to be on. Good to have the conversation with you. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, thanks Thanks for agreeing to uh, be on the show. What I want to talk about is your why in photography. So, first off, Many people might know you from your YouTube vlogging and social media and so forth, but they're probably unsure about where it all started for you and where your passion kicked off. So where did it kick off and how did you get into it? Okay, that's a long one. Have you got, have you got enough time? Yeah, we got <laughs> So I suppose, look, photography for me started at a very young age, probably at the age of around 12. My brother was into film, but he used to develop all of his images in our shared bedroom and he was very clever because what he decided to do with all his solutions is keep them all on my side of the room so i had blankets that were bleached and everything so i was really exposed to it because he turned the room into uh, a dark room mm. and ignited a bit of a, an interest in relation to it i had my first camera when i was around 12 when i was shooting film and I'd go off and I found I'd take photographs of everything, but it was mainly the outdoors and the landscape and such like that and trees and whatever I might take photographs of. The biggest challenge for anybody who's shot film will know that it's like running a gauntlet because you think you know what you're doing, but you can't see what you're doing until you send it down to the one hour photo lab or whatever the photo lab you might have used. And then you send in a 24 roll or a 36 roll and you get four images back and the rest of them are either white or black or out of focus or everything. So that was a kind of a good learning curve in relation to it. And I always had a camera then with me, I suppose, through my teenage years and into my 20s and such like mm -hmm. that. And then I really said, OK, I want to get more into this because I wanted to have a good hobby. 
I had a number of hobbies when I was growing up, like we all have. Photography had always been there with me. It was 2000 and I'm going to say 2008, 2006, 2008, when I got my first DS, DSLR, which is a Canon 1000D. Yep. I had no loyalty to brands or anything like that. I just got one because it was on offer. It was on a good price. And that's reason number 26 for gas, by the way, because it was at a good price. <laughs> but I picked up the Canon 1000D and I took my first couple of shots and I liked it. And I said, okay, this is interesting. But what really was the catalyst for me getting really serious in relation to it is that I got married in 2013 and we went to Borneo on our honeymoon. And of course, oh, yeah. I had my camera. I'm thinking, yeah, you know what? I'm going to be the bee's knees. I'm going to be getting the shots that need that, to be done. That GI photographer of the year. Yeah, yeah exactly. And it's an interesting uh, pivot to Nat Geo actually during this. But so we went on a riverboat cruise and we were very lucky because the guides that were there when we were leaving in the morning, they said, you're in for a treat. You're going to get to see some pygmy elephants. And I said, what type of elephants? Pygmy elephants? Mm -hmm. I knew of African elephants. I knew of Indian elephants, but no, I never knew of pygmy elephants. So I was all excited to see this. We get on this boat. It was, I say, a river cruise. It was um, a small kind of a know, punt or whatever, small wooden boat. Oh. And because it's in the water moving, obviously it's going up and down. I see these elephants take my shots thinking I'm the bee's knees. And every single shot that I took, I couldn't take because it was either going to be underexposed or it was blurred. Now, I didn't understand why at the point because I was yeah. like, why? I didn't understand it. I do now. But anyway, I also made another error is that thinking I go on my honeymoon for three weeks and I won't bring any charger. I don't need a charger. Should a battery last forever on that camera? And I ended up basically uh, running out of battery on that cruise. And this is where the pivot comes to National Geographic, because I had my first ever lens envy on that small boat, because yeah. I looked over and I saw a guy who had a boat all for himself and his lens. And I looked and I said, wow, geez, look at this. And the lens was ginormous. And it just so happened he was staying in the same place that we were staying in. Yep. So when we got back after the day, me not only frustrated that I couldn't get my shots, but also I didn't have any power for my battery. I saw he was shooting cannon. So, of course, I went, hi, how are you doing? Can I, by any chance, borrow a charger from you? And he was so nice that he actually gave me the charger. But his camera was a lot more advanced than my camera. So it obviously didn't work for my battery. Batteries, but yeah. I, yeah, but I got chatting to him and he was actually there working on behalf of National Geographic. <laughs> to take photographs of the birds and such like that, that were cool. on the whole Santangan river, I think it was. So yeah, that was when I said, I really need to learn this. And I want to understand why all of my images were not sharp, why I couldn't take my exposures and everything else that's associated with that. So that was 2013, I suppose, really Grant is when the catalyst came and I then said, right, we need to learn. And that's exactly what I did. And I, dive dove into it feet first head first arms first and pocket first because as you know it's a very very cheap <laughs> hobby pastime profession to have oh, yeah yeah it's i wish <laughs> i've said on many interviews before and i'll say it to you here now is that i hope that when i die that my wife doesn't sell my camera gear for what i told her it cost me yeah i'm the same i do buy a lot of second hand gear though so it's yeah. slightly cheaper but yes uh, yeah I'm, 
I know the uh, I know the uh, the feeling. <laughs> yes, it is. No. So you started to learn photography, and obviously got into the ISO and shutter speed and aperture triangle, and worked out how to do it. When when most people start, they're taking what you might call documentary or they're documenting as opposed to taking artistic photography. Where did that artistic bent really start for you? That's a good question. I don't know if I have uh, a good answer for you in relation okay. to it. I, I think I probably had that within me without me knowing that it was within me because sure. I would always be getting up close with items, getting down on my knees, getting on the ground, finding different perspectives and such like that. Yes, of course, you take the traditional snapshot. You just come up, you rock up, put your camera up, bang, take your shot. But mm -hmm. um, I found that with perspective and not being following the norm, let's just say, and you can yeah. get a whole different view in relation to it. Yeah, I don't know where it would have came from, but it probably would have come from inspiration of looking at other images and seeing that other photographers had done certain areas and why would that be looking different to my shot versus their shot? And probably then just trying to tease out, I don't really rush with my photography. I like to take my time. I like to get a feel for the landscape that I'm photographing. I like to walk around without my camera and just to see certain nuances and such like that would be there. Sure. And then I take the camera and I'll go at different heights, at different perspectives. I did a podcast on my own podcast there a couple of years ago, and the title of the podcast was called Six Inches. Right. And it was a play on words, right? But six inches makes a huge difference in photography because you can move six inches to the left, up, down, or whatever, forward and back, and you're going to change your perspective. You're going to change your composition. And I think it's possibly got to do with a lot of different areas, but there's not one that I can pinpoint in relation to it, Grant. But it is definitely something that I would encourage people to do. When they rock up, I've seen it so many times, not only just photographers, but also people who would be tourists coming to Ireland as an example. They'll spend... I don't know, eight hours traveling and they'll rock out and they'll get out of a car. They'll go over, they'll take the camera. You'll see this on the video. They'll hold it to, to the right level. Yeah. They'll take the shot and they'll turn around and get back in the car again and they're gone. Explore. You're there to see a landscape, not just to take a photograph with your camera or your phone. Yeah. Um, and not yeah, more important. Just to stand do. in the spot that everybody stands to take that vista. Yeah. Yes, and don't also take the photograph at eye level. That's something I rarely actually do. I rarely take a photograph at eye level because eye level is the norm. I kind of want to be different, do you know? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a, a really important lesson for a lot of people that are starting out is that, as you said, that six inches can make a massive difference. And whether it's left up or down, the difference it makes can be absolutely massive in the perspective, particularly whether it's a wide angle or even a, a long lens. Yeah, and I suppose if I expand on that a slight bit for you, is it's not necessarily got to do with the bigger vista. Yeah. Um, by moving six inches, you get parallax. And there's yeah. something that's going to be 
10 feet in front of you by moving six inches that would actually move quite considerably in the frame so if you've got something that's crossing over and i don't think people i, I don't say i don't think many people don't value composition as much as they should and by taking your time and moving and being very considerate you can transcend an image from ordinary to extraordinary and that's by being aware of what items are within the frame is there something that's crossing over is there separation amongst all of the individual components or elements within the image and that yeah. six inches can be the difference to make that shot yeah. phenomenal you know absolutely you mentioned one of the things that motivates you is being different is that the only motivation you've got or are there other things driving your creativity oh yeah there's a plethora of other reasons and, and motivations that i would have i suppose to, before i give you an answer and i'd let me share my thoughts on motivation to you because you will not do anything in life unless you're motivated and there's only two types of motivation you're either motivated towards something good or away from something bad and that comes from our childhood and our parents more so who would instill that in us. And as an example, even with my own kids, if they're doing something that I don't want them to do, I have two ways that I can stop them doing that. I can say, if you do that again, this will happen. Or yeah. if you don't do that again, then this will happen. And it's opposites in relation to motivation. Some people respond well to the, the motivated of fear. It's away from something or others. People respond better to the motivation of reward. So it's either fear or reward. For me, I'm from my photography. I, depending on the situation, I, I lie somewhere in between because I don't have fear in photography, but at the same point, I've learned from all of my mistakes that I've made and I don't want to repeat those mistakes again. Mm. So my next motivation is to be good at what I'm doing and to create something which is a wow factor for me. So I'm motivated towards producing something good from my photo point of view. But then it goes to a different level again in regards to where I have motivation in photography as a whole, because I've always wanted to help people in photography. I've always wanted to help people full stop. But I think in relation to from a photography point of view, I find it very rewarding to be able to help people to fall in love with photography as much as I have, because I think it's very much so an underestimated sport or pastime or whatever you might want to call it, because there's huge benefits from a mindset point of view, from a mindfulness point of view, from a health point of view, Absolutely. to be able to get out with your camera. And that small, relatively small piece of black plastic or metal or aluminium has a huge impact on our lives and i think it's something that i want to show people the feelings that you can get from that small little device that can there it can transcend so many different things absolutely uh, i've I, I spent maybe 32 years in in a corporate world and i found that when you're looking for a problem, sorry, when you're looking for a solution, rather, to a problem, and you're thinking about the problem, you will not find the solution. Yeah. And 
in a day-to-day life, we're all quite busy. Things move very, very fast. And you may not be able to, pardon the phrase, see the wood from the trees because there's yeah. so many things going on in your head. Photography was that outlet for me that I said, okay, if I've got a solution I need to find, I'm not going to find it here when I'm in the trenches with everybody. Mm. So I would take the opportunity to go with the camera, even for an hour, for two hours, and nine times out of 10, the solution would present itself in front of me because I wasn't thinking about it. My brain and the gray matter had started to kick in because I was able to focus on other things. A long-winded answer there. I'm aware of it as I'm talking to you about it. But from the the, the motivation for me is not just about taking the photos. It's to show and let people and help people experience the lifestyle and benefits to our lives that photography can bring. And one final example, and that is because you can meet so many cool people. You can have yeah. a conversation with somebody just like you and I. I've never met you before, but now we're going to have an hour-long conversation mm. about a passion, about a subject that we love. You know? yep. Yeah, fantastic. Are you goal-orientated with your photography or are you more spontaneous and take it as it comes? I'm a mixture again of both but I'm probably after transitioning over now to more goal orientated because in January of last year, I decided to, again, like I do with most things, jump in with both feet. So I've gone full time from a photography point of view. So I have to be goal orientated in relation to that. But prior to even doing that, I would have always been goal orientated because I, I've released a video on YouTube every week since September, 2017, and I haven't missed a week yet. So the goal wasn't necessarily for me to release a video. The goal was for me to get out with the camera. It yeah. just so happened that the YouTube put the pressure on me to be able to get out there and get those shots because I didn't, I'd set that goal for myself. Yeah. Yeah. If I had missed a week, nobody would have given a damn. Nobody would yeah. have missed me more so than me. So it was a goal for me. Mm. I'm goal orientated in relation to that, but I think I'm also goal orientated in a number of things that I do in my life, because it comes from my background in relation to my business life in relation to that. I'm also goal-orientated, Grant, in regards to improvements, because it's it's very difficult for you or I, or for anybody who's listening or watching this, to be able to measure the improvements that they've made in their photography on a macro level. Yeah, And what I mean by that is, you might go out today and you might take a nice shot and go, wow, I got a banger of a shot. And you might go out in two weeks time and go, oh, I got a mediocre shot. And you might go out in two months time and go, oh, I got another banger shot. It, it's ups and downs. It all depends on the location, all depends on the conditions. It always depends on the mindset yeah. and what you find. I always try and find my, my, my rewards by looking back. So if I look back at my images that I took a year ago, I can see improvement. If I go back two years, I can see improvement. Mm. And if you do it in that way, and it's something that I would really recommend people to do, even if they're not goal orientated, but to set themselves a kind of a retrospective goal per se, is look back a year ago, look at your images that you took a year ago, and I guarantee you, you will see an improvement unless you haven't taken an image in the last year. That goes without saying, of course. Sure. You, know, you will see an improvement in, in in your abilities. You will see an improvement in what you've been able to achieve, your technical abilities, but also you'll start to see a style develop. And that may actually 
could be a catalyst then to say, okay, you know what? I want to learn how I managed to fluke this shot. Yeah. Because a lot of it is a fluke, particularly when you're starting out. I still have flukes and I go, wow, geez, I didn't think, hang on, let me try that again. But I learned. I, I, and, I know exactly where you're coming from. You you sit there and you click away for a bit and you then you look at the back of the camera or you look at it when you get back to the yes. computer and you go, oh, okay, I didn't notice that when I was taking that shot. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, I think it's good to have goals. It's good to be able to look forward. But if you're, if, depending on the mindset, like I say, it's also good to look back because you will see improvement. I want to, want to put a pin in the style question but we'll come back to that but before that you talked a little bit about the ups and downs and one of the things that I like to dig into with people is how they deal with those ups and downs I had a really interesting conversation with Kenneth LaRose a short while ago and his take on it is he is in a mindset that he goes out and he takes photos and he cannot fail yeah and an interesting take on it. it is. And I encourage anyone who hasn't already checked this episode out, but check that episode out and you might find a little bit more depth to it. But I'm just sort of saying, what about that failure and the lessons, as you said, that you learn from those failures has driven you to improve? I suppose a couple of things on that. Number one, yeah, Kenny is a phenomenal photographer, but also a human being. So I think definitely go yep. back and listen to that episode. I have good time for him. I've a number of conversations with him over the years, and he's always got a nugget of information to be able to help. Okay, so I think ultimately failure is part of growth and failure is part of life. And if we fear failure, then it's going to become crippling. I think we should embrace failure. Yep. I have an acronym that I've used in my corporate world for fear and just it's a four letter word so it's a four letter acronym which is false expectations appearing real yeah and when we think it's very easy for us to have that analogy when you're outside looking in but when you are in the mix of that fear it can be all too consuming Mm. our mindset is the most powerful thing that we have. Our mind, for that matter, is the most powerful thing that we have. I've always been fascinated with people's minds. I've been fascinated with why do you think this way and why do I think that way? But more importantly, why do you think this way today? And I'll say the same thing to you tomorrow and you might have a completely different reaction. It's got Mm. to do with your mindset. It's got to do with your state of mind. Yep. And your state of mind is something that, believe it or not, is being influenced by a huge amount of factors on a daily basis. But the biggest factor that's influencing your state of mind is your own mind. And the average human being has, I think it's 48,000 thoughts per day. Yep. Most of those, 99% of those are just brain chatter. But the thoughts will come from two different aspects. You've got your conscious mind and your subconscious mind. And your subconscious mind is things that you do without even thinking about it. If you've got an itch on your nose, you don't have to tell your brain, okay, lift my finger, put it on my nose, touch it like this and go. It just does it, okay, because it's your subconscious mind. But your subconscious is something that will always drive and it carves out the pathway that your conscious mind is going to drive and walk and walk and and run and climb and whatever it might be on so if we go out into the landscape and again this is why i love photography if we go out into the landscape and say okay 
I'm going to get an absolute banger shot today. It's going to be award-winning. It's going to be the best shot that anybody has ever seen, never mind seeing me. They're going to be knocking down my door, and I'm going to nail this shot. They're mm-hmm. high expectations. Yep. If you don't reach those, the only person that's going to be disappointed is you, nobody else, because nobody else knew the high levels of expectations that you had set. Exactly right. Shoot. If you go out today and you, like, yeah, Adam Gibbs, a good friend of mine, somebody you've also had a pa- on the, your podcast is if you go out with expectations, you can only come home with disappointment. I agree with him, but I also disagree with him as well, because if I go out with expectations, let's say my expectations are low, then I can only come back with something which is higher than my expectations. So I'd give a caveat to that is if you go out with unrealistic expectations, yeah. then yes, you can come back with uh, a disappointment. Now, that being said, I actually did a video on my YouTube channel just before Christmas about why we should get excited about our landscape photography. And it's something that I've seen so many people go out over the years and they go, I'm just going out for the sake of going out. Don't go out. I want to go, but don't go out. And I tell you why I don't want you to go, because if you don't go out, then you're going to be miserable at home. Yeah, I suppose I go. Yeah, no. You've now got a different mindset when you step outside that door, right? right. Be excited to, to be going out. Be excited about to take a photograph with your camera. Be excited to learn something new or be excited to make mistakes. But the most important part is to be excited. And that, again, comes back to our mindset and our state of mind. I would have done a lot of reading, Grant, over the years on a subject called NLP. Have you heard of NLP? I have heard of NLP, yeah. Okay. And it's very powerful. And it's something that I would encourage listeners, watchers to do some more research in relation to it, because it can be you are you are the keeper of your own existence. You are the keeper of your own mind. But there's so many people trying to knock at that door on a daily basis, trying to get their way in. They're not doing it maliciously, by the way. They're not trying to get into your head, but purely having a conversation with you, like me and you having a conversation right now. When we finish this conversation, there's going to be aspects of what I've said to you is going to stay in your head. And there's going to be aspects of what you said to me is going to stay in my head. Yep. If I decide to let those influence me, good, bad, or indifferent, then it's me who decides that. That's but right. if I can decide, if I understand how I can do that, that's where I think it can be pivotal. because. On a daily basis, we've come across so many different people, so many different friends, family, phone calls, social media is another aspect of it, believe oh, yeah. it or not. You might think you're only scrolling on Instagram, but all of those are all registering, 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 registering. So I think we have to be very careful in relation to what we allow come into our into our mind. So again, yeah, I go out to it on a shoot. I don't have expectations that are too high. I have expectations that are mediocre, let's just say. I then also, just to go back to what you said about Kenny, he's not going to let himself fail. For me, I go the opposite way and I say, okay, you know what? If I fail, but I've learned. And I've got a phrase which I've said many times is that bad conditions do not exist in landscape photography. There's always a shot. Granted, it may not be a banger, but it's still going to be a shot and I've gotten shots in conditions that people would normally have gone home for and they mm. say Jesus you stayed out and you got that damn I wish I'd stayed out yeah, yeah. Less no? is it. I think the yes. only the only time I've said anything in terms of yeah these are really bad conditions is where it's a torrential downpour 
and it's just a solid gray sky and there's just no light <laughs> just no no joy in standing there getting wet i mind you that that said i have stood there and got wet many times and occasionally come back with a shot <laughs> yes and you know what they say after a storm or after rain oh yes yeah, absolutely the before and after that's the choice that's the sweet exactly part. yeah so it's only a fleeting moment in time but yeah if we can the only well, one i don't like we do to... we capture fleeting moments in time that's exactly correct what photography is all about correct and the only one i cannot stand is sideways rain because that's just <laughs> yeah. horrible horrible yeah yeah sideways rain and sideways snow are just a bit a bit too much <laughs> yes 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 indeed indeed so let's return i, I said i put a pin in the the style questions you clearly have started to develop your own style how do you feel that it is developing and where do you see it going in the future thank you for the compliment that i clearly have started to develop my own style i kind of would question that because i think my i don't think i've developed my own style but i also think that our styles are going to constantly evolve and they'll never this is um, it they're never static it'd be stagnant yeah, yeah. Um, Anybody that I've ever said that to before as well has a very similar answer to me is really I've developed a style, but you have and and I have, I know I have, because when I look at my images, I look at certain aspects that I'm drawn to. I suppose my style of photography is where I feel most at home, most relaxed, and it's in an area that's not relaxed, which is the sea. So I find water hugely therapeutic. I found the movement of water hugely therapeutic. But outside of that, even when it comes to the camera, I find that every photograph that I take of water is going to be different to the next, unless it's a tap that's flowing in constant. Yeah. Because, yeah. So when I'm by the sea, I absolutely love the power, the energy, the sound, the emotions that I get from the sea. And then I have a camera as well to be able to capture all of that. And I suppose I, I would class myself as a seascape photographer, but I would do all different types of landscape photography, but I enjoy seascape photography the most. When I want to apply something that I suppose a style, it would probably be my shutter speed and my composition. So I generally get down low, as we've said it from earlier on, I immerse myself in the water. And my shutter speed is preferred around half a second, quarter of a second, an eighth of a second. Yep. So I can, it all depends really on the speed of the wave that's coming through yeah, towards me. Yeah. But I will then be able to capture the movement within the water, but also keep the static element being the subject, which is the rocks or sea stacks, as I've got many of them around here within the, the frame of the image. So I would probably, my style would be seascape. I don't necessarily just do snapshots. I could be a, trying to be creative in relation to my shutter speed. I do love a long exposure. I do love a good, 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 good long exposure, but all depends on the situation. But on the flip side of that, I do love a fast shutter speed when I've got a raging storm and the waves are 15, 20 meters high. I love getting the shots of those as they're breaking against the cliffs or crashing over rocks or whatever it may be. Yes. So, yeah, I think it's water is the the commonality. Shutter speed is the other. And then just from my perspective is to get down low. I don't know if I answered the question or not for you there, because I, as I went through it, I didn't realize I was going off in a bit of a tangent. But no, that's, that's, um, I guess where where I'm interested is it, where do you see your style going in future? Is it more towards 
intimate scenes? Is it more towards larger panoramic? Is it has it changed from where you started and where the where do you see it going? Is is what fascinates me. Yeah, I don't think I'd see it going down the route of intimate. I've done a yeah. bit of that. I actually did that there now with Michael Shamblum recently, and I did a bit of it yesterday as well. And it's not something I think that I, when I look at the images, they don't resonate with me. They might resonate with others because they could sure. see certain aspects within the image, but it doesn't resonate for me. I think, where do I see it going? I think I see it going in a similar route that it has gone and just making sure that I can try and fine tune that and perfect that find different landscapes to be able to put in front of my camera and apply the skill set that I would have learned from my mistakes over the last number of years, mm. return to areas that I would have struggled at when I was starting out in my photography and now see how I could change that. And that's something I think if people want to understand how they can find their own style is to do exactly that is to go to a location that you did that you went to when you first started out and now see how you're going to approach that because I don't think the style is in the finished image. I think the the style is in the approach to the scene. So I know that there's areas that I would visit now that when I visited years ago that I know I would have a different approach to, which means I get a different image. Yeah. So I, I think it's probably going to constantly evolve with different locations and I'll fine tune the skill sets that I have think I'm good at composition, but I want to get better at composition. And the funny thing about it is this Maz Peter Everson. Have you had Maz on the, Not yet. the podcast? No, he's okay. on the, still on the list. Yeah, get Maz on because Maz is really good. He's a great, he's a great guest to have, but he's full of information. Yeah. And something he said, and I, I said it to him, I said, I'm stealing that, which is, it's not the rule of thirds. It's the tool of thirds. Absolutely. And you need to be able to bend these rules and people get so fixated by going, and that's not on that third. And this, it okay. doesn't make a difference. That's you know, right. what if, if it works and it all depends on the scene that's there. I mean, I've taken seascape photographs where my horizon is in this part at the very, very yep. top yep. and everything else is all of my foreground, which is the water below me. I've yep. taken photographs where my foreground is down here and then, everything is in the sky because it was the sky that was of interest. So it depends on the scene that's there. You know, Some, Somebody I was talking to on the podcast a, a while back, I, sorry, I can't just can't remember their name. If I'm offending the, the, <laughs> them, then sorry about that. But what what they actually said was it's not about rules of thirds or golden triangles or whatever. It's about the balance. If the image looks unbalanced, then it's going to be less appealing to people. And it's really down to that, whether it's everything 100%. that you want to look at is over in the left-hand side or over in the right-hand side or the top or the bottom or whatever. If it looks unbalanced, then it's not going to look that good. I 100% agree with that. Yeah. Whoever said it, spot on. How would you define success in your photography? Wow. How would I define success? I suppose that depends on where I... That's a good question. How would I define success in my photography? In my photography or in photography? No, in your photography. In my photography. Yeah. And doesn't have to I don't be know. But it could be commercial, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, that's the thing, you see. I don't know. Like, I've been doing photography now for longer than I 
can remember, as I said, from the age of 12, let's just say. Success in photography for me is that I can rock up to any location and I know what I need to do to get a shot. I can photograph in any conditions and I know what I need to do to get a shot. So that's one way of looking at it. Another way is that I could say, okay, I look at incremental successes. So if I go off out in a shoot today, if I come home with an image, that's a success. If I'm presented with something new that I've never done before, an example, actually, in November, we had a high KP spike. So we had the Aurora was visible over Ireland. Yeah. And I had never photographed the Aurora before. And I said, okay, how hard could it be? You know, I, I, I'll go and I'll, I'll give it a crack. But I didn't want to go far because it was in, in the evening time. I had the kids. I was just after dinner. So I said, okay, there's a motorway that runs close to my home here. I said, it's, it's actually heading north. I said, all right, because I'm in the most southern part of Ireland. I'm down in Cork, which is the, yep. the bottom of Ireland, right? So it had reached as far as here, which was uncanny at the time. So I said, okay, I'm going to go to that motorway. And I, what I'll do is I'll end, I have an idea for a shot is that the road is going to be going up like this. The cars are going to be going on this side. So I got red lights on that side. I got white lights on that side. And then I'll have the Aurora in the sky. So I rocked up. I did that. I found the bridge that I was able to stand on, get everything underneath me, took out my camera and went, okay, what's the settings? I didn't have a tutorial that I wanted to look at, but I knew just because I knew my camera and I know this, how the camera would work. Sure, sure. So I knew what I needed to dial in. But it just so happened at the time, actually, that Nikon UK had reached out to me and given me the Z8 and they said, have, give it a go, see what you think of it. So I had that as well. Mm-hmm. So that's when I figured, okay, I'll try and take a shot here with the Z8, which is a camera that I'd only just gotten. I hadn't, yeah, you know, I didn't know how to all use its it. nuances, yeah. Yeah. And I was able to get a shot as well with that camera. So that was a success to me because it's incremental successes that at least I knew how to get that on my camera and on the Nikon camera. Okay, Mm. there's not much difference. There's no such thing as a bad camera these days. They're all very, very good. Anyway, so that's a success. And then I suppose the, the other one then is from a commercial point of view. Yeah, it's my livelihood. What's a success on that is when I look at the end of the year and say, okay, was I able to feed my kids? Was I able to pay my mortgage? Was I still able to have the, the niceties that I wanted to have? Or did yeah. I have to change my lifestyle in relation to it? Yeah, yeah. I think it, it all depends on what you attribute to successes. But for me, success is many, many factors. Mm. Communication is obviously a big part of photography. It's visual communication. And some people talk about the story that's within their images, etc. And that's without putting any kind of clever captions saying the flowery language around that pretty picture that's up there. How much does importance do you put on that? And how much do you see or how important do you see is communication in photography? I think in photography, it's visual communication, right? So, you know, you can put as many words as you want, but they're what resonate with you. They may not necessarily resonate on Instagram, do they? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. So I think it depends on what the communication is and what the communication is received as. So I'll I'll give you a slightly different answer. Like I've done probably every step of the way in every question that you've asked me so far. I guess that I want to be different, right? I think communication is down to what resonates with the viewer. 
I might go off and take a photograph of the the Rock of Cashel. Okay, so it's a, it's a structure here in Ireland. Yep. I know all of the feelings that I had when I took that shot. I know, I can remember what the temperature was. I can remember, was it windy? I can remember if there was 10 cows standing in front of me wanting to photobomb my shot. Yep. I can remember the sounds that were there. Was there cars coming close to me? Was there crows nearby? Was the sunlight hitting it? The challenges I may have had. So all of that, I remember when I took the shot. If so, you look at the shot, you have absolutely no idea of the things that went on behind that. So it depends on what resonates with you when you view the image. When you view the image, you might have ancestors in Ireland and go, oh, that's casual. That's in Tipperary. My ancestor's uncle is from there. Yep. There you go. There, there's communication. You may not know what casual is and you go, wow, what's that structure? I want to go there. And all of a sudden you go off and you do research in relation to it. Yep. Or you may be a photographer and looking and going, I photographed that place. I know those cows who were always in that field. I know exactly. So the, the yeah. image should tell the story as opposed to what I want somebody to be able to get from the image, let's just say. I think that's the beauty of photography. It transcends words. Uh, what's, what's the, the phrase? A picture tells a thousand, a thousand words, words or yeah, something, like something that. along those lines. And it's very true when it comes from a landscape point of view i think the landscape this is what attracts me to landscape photography landscape photography is a very unique genre of photography mm. because you can go out in all conditions it can get you around the world you can see so many different things you can meet so many different people it, it transcends words because it can have an evoke an emotion with the differences within the light and also, I don't necessarily want to communicate something within the image. I want, I would hope more so than want, I would hope that when the viewer is looking at the image, that they get something from that image. They may not. I may not. I'm sure you've had images, Grant, that you take a shot and you go, ah, it was mediocre. And somebody else goes, wow, that's amazing. I absolutely yeah, love I've, that. I've had a, had a couple of those. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And on the flip side to that, I'm sure you've had an image, you go, that's a banger, I can't wait. And all of a sudden you go, yeah. because it, it doesn't, it, it depends. The, the image, the visual communication, I think, is what transcends words. And it purely depends on the emotion and the feeling that it evokes in the viewer. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, yeah, that's a different answer to the, all the ones, I suppose, yeah. Which... <laughs> no, it's a great answer. I love it. In terms of, your choice to go full time. How difficult was it to make that choice? Or was this something that's been building for a while and you just said, no, nope, got to pull the, the ripcord, jump out of the plane and off we go? Kind of a mixture of both, to be honest with you. So, yeah, it, it wasn't an easy decision, but it was also something that I felt I needed to do. So I've been in, I suppose I've been in the corporate world for over 30 odd years and many of those at director level. And I was, very much so going through the mills of, I love what I was doing, but I, like I said earlier on, always do something while it's fun until it stops being fun, then don't do it anymore. Yep. Photography was always my release from inverted commas, the real world. Mm -hmm. So give me an opportunity to get out and find those solutions. Like I would have said in relation to it, I've always wanted to help people. I've always wanted to show people that 
the beauty of Ireland, the beauty of uh, the advantages that come with photography. It's probably why I would have started my YouTube channel. There's other reasons why I would have started my YouTube channel, but maybe we'll get to that in a moment. But I, back in 2020, I said, okay, you know what? Yeah, maybe it's time for me to change, you know? And then Armageddon arrived. So I said, okay, I was in the business I was in, I was considered an essential retailer. So we were still open. So I said, okay, I'm not going to go anywhere now because I've got a duty of care to my teams. I've got a duty of care for my people. I've got a duty of care to the customer. And I wanted to make sure that I had a duty of care to me and my family as well, because I wanted to make sure I could still provide for them. So that came and went anyway. And then there was another aspect of the business where we were doing an acquisition. So I said, okay, I couldn't go then. And I waited until I'd all that done. And I waited then until I'd all that all changed over, all migrated over and integrated into our own business. And then it was time for me to have the conversation. The reason I had the conversation was because I had done what I wanted to do. I wanted to make a change. And I'm a firm believer that everybody has hindsight, right? Everybody yep. always can go, oh, I wish I'd done that or whatever. But foresight is something that few people have. Mm. And no man in his, on his dying bed has ever said, you know what? I wish I worked more. No man in his dying bed has ever done that. No. Um, but in reality, I said, if I don't do it now, because I'm getting older, I said, I won't be able to have the opportunity to be able to do that. It was kind of like a pivot and a transition as well, a period of time in my own life. And I said, okay, let's try it. Let's give it a go. It wasn't an easy decision because obviously you're leaving something which is fixed, comfortable that I know. But at the same point, I looked and said, okay, if I could do what I've done with the business there, I'm surely I could do something like that for myself. I have the skill set. I have the passion. That's clear in relation to photography. I can talk a lot of BS, if you want to call it that, right? Because photography, it only means something to the listener if they're into photography. If they don't, Let's face it, it's a very, very small genre in the bigger scheme of things. And it's not easy to make money in this business. It's something that you have to be creative. You have to be clever. And this is when I said, okay, how am I going to make money in relation to it? I had always been, like I said, a proponent of trying to help people. So back in 2014 or 15, I would say, I created a couple of Facebook groups for photographers around the area here, mainly because I said there's so much talent here. Why not showcase it to the people around us? But also I wanted to meet other photographers because landscape photography, let's face it, it's a solitary sport, right? It's a lone wolf sport. Generally, you're out on your own. Mm. I wanted to be able to create a community in relation to it, a community around it which I successfully did. But as a byproduct of that, it also helped me because I was able to learn from other photographers firsthand. And throughout the period of time that I was very active in relation to that, I started to organize meetups. And what I didn't want was me having a meetup with 15 or 16 people and everybody going, okay, Darren, where are we going now? Okay, Darren, where are we going now? Okay, Darren, where are we going now? (laughs) I'm not in, I was never interested in that. And nor did I want 15 or 16 people all stood around the same rock and everybody getting under each other's toes, all taking the same shots. So what I did was, is that when I organized the meetup, I picked some locations and I put a very, 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 very basic guide together that I gave to the participants and said, okay, look, here's five areas. Here's the GPS coordinates. Here's some advice in relation to it. Now go. It's not designed to be, Let's all start on number one and go two, three, four, and five. Go to different areas because I don't want us all shooting under Crowded our feet. Around the same rock, yeah. 
yeah but we'll all meet up when we get back to the accommodation or whatever afterwards sure, sure. But that was the kind of foundation of something that i had done i'd done an, an, a couple of those i actually had done two of them i think it was and then i said okay how am i going to be able to make some money from my photography but i said okay i can turn these into something which is beneficial so that's when i came up with the idea for my photography location guides which i must say have been very well received better received than i would have thought particularly mm. in a young fledgling idea let's just say so when i started off with them i had to expand on it but then i had to make it more professional looking you know it was like on the back of a fag box yeah so it was very yeah. basic so i created this whole concept behind it and then i said okay again i wanted to help people because that's again my main motivation mm-hmm. and i wanted to save people time so what i did was I picked, I handpicked locations. I had my images that I'd visited before. I had my information because I'd visited there before. I had my YouTube video that I could share with somebody so they'd get a view into that before they even set foot in the car or even there. And then how would they get there? So then I created a a map, which is an exclusive map for each of the guides. So somebody picks up one of my guides. They go, okay, I want to go to Killarney. So they look at Clarny, they get a list of all the areas that are there and they can go in and go, okay, I want to go to this, this and this. And then you all have it on your phone. So your Google map is going to give you right to the exact spot. Yeah, take and you right. I said, yeah. And then the thing I wanted to make sure of was to give people the the helpful guidance. Number one is no, nobody talks about parking. Where are you going to park? And people think, oh, yeah, I'm going to get there, but I'm going to say, hang on, there's three car parking spaces. Yeah. Like district in summer, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> So I wanted to manage the expectations in relation to that. And then finally, I said, okay, I wanted to help people to understand when is the best time to go shoot there. I must the best types of shots and stuff like that. So that was one of the first things that I did. And thankfully, that has helped me then to be able to create something to build on. So, yeah, it wasn't an easy decision, but it was something that I'm glad I did because I know that I've got so much that I can gift for people and help people to be able to enjoy photography more and more and more and more. And I'm glad I've done it. I mean, I'm, I'm almost a year into it now. I still look back on it a bit of trepidation and go, what the hell were you thinking? <laughs> but yeah, I, like I said, like what I do generally in life really grand is I go all in, both feet, arms, yep. head, everything. So yeah, it's been good. No guts, no glory, eh? Yeah, yeah. You know what? Look, yeah. As Del Boy would have said to Rodney, he who dares, Rodney, he who dares. <laughs> Very good. In terms of that commercial side, one of the most important things, I think, is managing your personal brand. And I think it's one thing that you do an amazing job with, the combination of your guides, your vlogs, etc. How important is that to you in your planning of your, your business activities? Oh, hugely important. Hugely, huge. And thank you very much for taking recognition in relation to it because it's not something that happens automatically. I think it's something that you always have to have in your mindset if you are particularly... It would be one thing if it was called Irish Landscapes. Yeah. But it's not. It's called my name. I'm very much so have to be very careful in relation to Yeah, when your name's on the door, it's your shop. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't it be great if I was turned around and kind of saying, and thank you very much for joining this week's episode. And here we are on Jeffrey Epstein's Island. That's not going to necessarily be a very good thing for my brand, right? right? And I think that's where you have to be very, very conscious in relation to it. It's something that I try to have a bit of cohesiveness across it as well. I constantly get, because my name 
I hated it, Grant, when I was a kid. I hated my name when I was a kid and because Spoonly is different, right? So I was called Forkly, I was called Knifely, I was called... I was the only kid in my class that didn't have an Irish name because there's no Irish name for Darren and there's no Irish name for Spoonly. But one of my teachers at one point decided... So the Irish for uh, Spoon is called Spoonog. So somebody, one of the teachers said, Darren Spoonogly, and I just looked and my whole class started laughing. And then I was called Spoonogly for as... And I was like, you know what? I hated my surname. Fast forward till I became a grown-up and it helped me because it's easy for somebody to find me. I don't have to... Someone says, oh, watch your Instagram. Just my name. That's yeah. all you got to do. Just go into Google and just search my name and you'll find yeah. me. In I, I had absolutely so, no problem with mine either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And here's the interesting thing is when I start looking about what I want to associate myself with, that's when I think it becomes really, really crucial because we talk about, say, for example, photography and you get into it from a commercial point of view and, oh, you're going to have brands knocking down your door and they're going to be throwing. Yeah, you do have some of that. Yes, absolutely. You do have some of that. But the majority of that is absolute crap that you wouldn't even use. I wouldn't give it to my seven-year-old son. Never mind, say, put my name to it and create a video yeah. in relation to that. And on the flip side to that then as well is that you get brands reaching out to you and going, well, we'd love to send you whatever, this filter and make a video for it and put it up in your YouTube channel. Yep. Okay. And then I go back and I say, yeah, that sounds interesting. I like the product. What have you got in mind? Oh, we want you to do a, a five or a 10 minute video. We want you to talk about these features, blah, blah, blah. And I go, okay, but no, what have you got in mind? Yeah. What is the, your, your budget? What's in relation the outcome to you're actually after? Yeah. What's no, the what's your budget? Oh, because yeah. like, what's your budget? Because they're going, oh, we'll send you a, a filter and we want you to make a video and put it up on your website, on your YouTube channel. Okay. Yeah. But there has to be remuneration in relation to that because number one, you're getting something on my site, on my brand. My brand has been associated with that. Number yeah. two, I'm creating something that you can repurpose. Number three, I have to travel somewhere. So there's cost involved in me traveling there. Number four, I have to make the video. So there's cost involved in my equipment. Number five, I have to edit the video in relation to that. Yeah, so there's a cost in time, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Exactly. And then exactly that. And then number six is you say, okay, these are all my costs. What about my profit? Because it's my business, yeah? Mm. But some of these brands don't even see that. Oh, so it's all about, I, I want to get exposure for my brand via your brand but you'll get exposure somehow <laughs> yeah 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 it's like these photography hubs that i love oh yeah. Go, yeah repost your image and we'll give you credit yeah yeah okay yeah, grand job yeah. yeah like there there's one hub here in ireland and I, I don't mind saying it look it's it's a government hub it's the board of tourism okay yeah and our, you go, our guys are the same it's brilliant. You go, oh, we'd love your image. Can we reshare it? We'll give you credit. And you have yeah. to go, you have to uh, click, I agree to these terms and conditions. But when you go and look at these terms and conditions, they, they can, can use it anyway. Yeah, exactly. Reprint, repurpose everything, your image. Yep. Oh, well, do you know what? 
uh-uh. And I have seen scenarios of where they've used images that they've taken from people and they've printed them and the image looks absolutely diabolical because they didn't get a high-res image, they got a mediocre-res image. Yeah, they got it and they've tried to blow it up and all of a sudden it's pixelated. Number one, it doesn't look good for the country. Number two, it doesn't look good for the brand. And number three, it doesn't look good for the photographer who took the image because yeah. their name isn't even there. Mm. So, yeah, there's yeah. my rant over. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, tell, it's, I think it's a valuable rant. A lot of people get sucked into that. I'll get exposure and therefore I'll down the road somehow get rewarded for it. But unless you're yeah, actually I, put your foot and down. You know and you know what? If my kids no. turn around to me tomorrow, my kids turn to me tomorrow, Grant, and say, what's for dinner? You can have a bowl of exposure. You can have a cup <laughs> of exposure. And there's a bit of gravy exposure to go over that exposure. That's right. That doesn't pay bills, I'm afraid. It might no. pay their bills because it might sell more product for them. But it oh, absolutely. Pay and that's what it's all about, free content. Yeah. And unfortunately, there are way too many photographers that are willing to give up their content for nothing. Yes, because of the exposure. Because you know? of the exposure. Yeah. And look, and you know what? Look, I, I had that thought process before I decided to go full-time in photography. I've had that that thought process in the past. I love the whole idea of my country. I would support and, and try and showcase my country every breath of the day. But, but I ain't going to do it at the costs of me, let's just say, you know? Yeah. And the other side too, people see, like for argument's sake, you mentioned about my brand, people see from here I am on YouTube. Ah, sure, yeah, okay. YouTube, is that free? You know, it is free. It's free for you to watch. Yeah. No problem whatsoever. It costs you nothing to watch, but it costs to produce it. Yeah. And people don't see that. So, yeah. 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 Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that when people are thinking about getting into going into YouTube, they're dreaming, oh, yeah, I'll get a million followers and you know, $100,000 a year in advertising, <laughs> which, as you yeah. well know, is not the case. Uh, and and what I would say to somebody actually in that grant is if that's the reason they want to get into to YouTube, then don't. Because your motivation is wrong in the first place. And like Adam Gibbs would say, you will be full of disappointment. <laughs> because it's not going to be that. I started my YouTube channel purely as a joke. I didn't do my YouTube channel for anything other than a joke. Okay. So... I would have some friends of mine that we would go off out and we'd take photographs together. And then if we weren't taking photographs together, I might be somewhere and I'd get the phone and I'd go, hang on, look at that there, lads. And I showed them the phone. And then I was actually, it was Thomas Heaton that inspired me because I was, I was going, guys, here I am. My name is Thomas Heaton and this is what I am, blah, blah, blah. Blessing to my friends. And then I went, you know what? It'd be fun actually just to try and make one of those and see how I get on in relation to it. So yeah, that's what I did. I made a video just purely to see how fun it was. And then I said, how difficult is it to edit? And yeah, it's difficult to edit, to make a good edit. It's difficult to have a presence on the on the screen. I noticed on my first set of videos, and I actually have it up on my YouTube channel as my first ever vlog, I said, mm and ah, quite a lot. And I actually yeah. counted them at 126 uh, ums and ahs throughout the whole thing. And I actually made a point of it. Every time I said it, I put up a ding. So you have to get better in relation to that. And if your motivation is to go in and make money, then it ain't going to happen. But here's the interesting thing for me is that what I quickly realized is that my YouTube channel becomes a legacy of me for my kids. So that 
when I'm dead and gone, they'll have something that they can watch and then they can go. So that's where dad went. And that's why dad wasn't there for dinner. And that's why dad wasn't there for breakfast. And that's why dad went away for three days. And they can watch that and relive my life and my passion that I have for photography forever. You know, that's fantastic. It's not for money. You won't make money. You think, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm going to clean up here. I, I look at these guys. I look at this Peter McKinnon fella. Oh, he's yeah. got like whatever. He has six or seven million followers and he puts up a video and he's like, yeah, what's up, everybody? I'm making all this money. That ain't happening. And that is the the phrase of the 1% of the world. That's yep. the 0.1% of the world based on the amount of YouTubers that are out there that are trying to do that. Totally, totally agree. I mean, I can't follow all of the landscape photographers that are out there doing photo vlogs. It's yep. just it's huge. It's just phenomenal the number that are out there, and it's and that therefore the market is really spread thin. That's one of the things I, I also like to talk about with people is where they see photography in that social media sphere and how photography is started to get everyone's a photographer everyone's got a camera in their pocket there in their phone how do you see the value of photography proceeding is it just going to continue to slide to zero because everybody out there wants to put their images out there and are willing to give them away for nothing yeah that's a kind of a loaded question that you've asked there i know <laughs> i think there will always be a place for photography. There'll always be a place for photographers, mainly because you know, it's about getting a shot that is a good shot and tells a story and can be different to the other person, let's just say. Everybody can rock up with their phone, absolutely. Yeah. Photography is a niche. Landscape photography is an even smaller niche. It's a very, very minute thing. When you, I don't know what the name of the effect, I can't remember what it is is that if you're thinking about something and all of a sudden you start seeing more of what you're thinking, right? Um, yeah. I know. So I, you I and I are in the... talking about, I can't remember the name of it either. Yeah. But it, it does, people who are listening or watching will know what we mean anyway. Like if you're thinking about getting a Tesla, for argument's sake, before you realize you're going to constantly see loads of Teslas on the road. Yeah. They were always there. It's just that you weren't tuned in in relation yeah, to Yeah, you weren't looking for them. Yeah. Yes. So when we're in the photography world, we're thinking quite a lot more in relation to photography. For the person that's out there with their mobile phone, they're not thinking about photography. They're thinking about Snapchat and they're thinking in relation to ordering just even. Yeah. The camera is just something extra that they have on their, in their pocket. Let's just say. Mm. That being said, um, everybody has a camera on them now. Everybody has the ability to take photographs now. The quality of these cameras on these phones is improving absolutely it is but it's nowhere near let's face it how good a dslr or a mirrorless sure, camera sure. is right will it be something that will be super saturated yes but i think what it'll also do is that the cream will rise to the top i think if you are good at photography it's not because of the camera that you have right no. it's because you have to take a, a, a photo you often see these memes and such like that. And people go, oh, Jesus, look at that. That's a great camera. That must take great pictures. Yep. It doesn't when it's sitting on the shelf, but when it, it gets in somebody's hand that knows how to use it is when it takes good photos. So I think there's never going to be a situation that the photographer is not going to be needed. And I think 
that kind of brings me, like I said, it's a loaded question, because when you were talking and asking me the question, I was thinking about the future in relation to photography and where photography is going. Yep. And a lot of people have fear in regards to AI because AI, it's, you know, they took our jobs, right? AI is something which is there that it enhances something, right? It yeah. cannot create something that wasn't there in the first place. It just makes it. And there's always going to be room there for the photographer to create the image. But what AI does is it makes life easier for the photographer. It makes life easier in relation to be it processing the image or removing of certain aspects or elements or adding in certain aspects or elements that may be there with the, with the shot. But it can't create something that didn't exist in the first place because it has a reference that it builds from. And if it does create something that doesn't exist in the first place, then it's not going to be recognizable to the human, which is ultimately who it's intended for, who doesn't recognize it as something that exists yeah. before now. So if somebody takes a picture of the sky, we know that clouds are white, gray, unless it's sunrise and sunset, then they have a bit of color in relation to them. But if you start seeing like psychedelic stripes like a zebra in the sky, right? But that's not going to be real. But AI doesn't know that's not going to be real. So all of a sudden it's thinking that's what this, the cloud should look like. Yeah. So the reality is, is that I think photography is constantly going to evolve. It's going to get better. It's going to get more immersive. I think it's probably going to, when you look at the main players in the world of technology, the likes of Apple, who are creating this Apple Vision VR and the new cameras now you've got spatial video in relation to it so effectively it's like 3d and such like that yeah so that's where i think photography is going to go it's going to go more even more immersive the challenge that we have is to take a photograph of a 3d sphere it's a 2d image but we want to try and create depth in that to create... and 3d yeah. feeling to it as you can yes yeah. so i think that's possibly where it's going to go in the evolution of photography is that it will become more spatial photography and video as well for that matter so that the viewer not only can see the image but can step in to the image i would love when i think back to when i was growing up and what the future when that what they said the future was going to be and such like that there was a phrase that always stuck with me which was it wasn't television it was going to be smell-o-vision is that you could smell get smells from there or whatever it might be. That's something I think that are, it's one of our senses, right? So if we think of looking at an image, all we're doing is using visual. We're not using touch because we're not touching the image. We're not touching yeah. anything within there. We're not smelling it, okay? We're not hearing anything. It's just visual. Mm -hmm. So if we can involve more of the senses in photography, then I think that's when it's going to become even more immersive and going to mm -hmm. be something that not only would I love to experience but also i'd love to give that experience to a viewer of an image as well interesting what's your most memorable experience out shooting ah there's been so many i can't even give you an answer i i, I don't know tell, tell me a horror story then <laughs> there's got to be um, one of them yeah okay so i went shooting with a couple of buddies of mine up in dublin one time and i had a canon 70d it was my pride and joy i loved it so much we went down to shoot a lighthouse at dawn. We went all the way down this cliff walk. We're down by the rocks. I have my tripod. I'm down low, close to a rock pool, as I generally am. The other two guys kept calling me. Darren. And I'm like, all right, lads, give me a second. I'm just composing my shot here. And they kept calling me and kept calling me. 
And I thought then there was something wrong. So when I stood up, it was my own fault, of course, but I had the tripod in front of me and I stood up, my knee hit the side of the tripod and it went and then straight into the water. And I could see, still see it happening in slow motion. And I went to try and grab it, but of course I couldn't grab it because at that stage it was top heavy. So I had my Canon 70D, I had a 24 to 105 L lens on, I had the Lee foundation kit, a Lee big stopper, a Lee 0.9 graduated ND, I had a remote release all connected into the camera, bang, into the salt water. I can still see it happening in slow motion. I immediately grabbed it out. I threw a few expletives at those guys because what were you calling me for so frantically? In the end, it was nothing. It was just like, the sun will be up in five minutes. I'm like, Jesus. Okay. So you just cost (laughs) me an absolute fortune. Yeah. I firmly believe, I suppose, that out of every kind of disaster comes an opportunity. And you either have an opportunity to have something good or something well in it and such like that. So fortunately, I suppose at the time I was in a position that I could have said, you know what, right, sad this now, because this was in the morning and I was on a two day shoot and it was on the first morning. I immediately opened the camera, whipped out the SD card, whipped out the battery, took off the lens. And of course, it just poured water out of, it. Uh, Lovely. Out of the lens and the camera. So I knew that was ghost. I contacted a local camera store to uh, see if they could repair it. They said, there ain't no repairing that, my friend. It's salt water. Forget about it. But we just got yeah, to... No matter how many bags of rice you put it in, it's not going to come No, back. it's goosed. Yeah, it's goosed. But they had some good news for me was that they had uh, a camera that was on offer. Again, that's reason number 18 out of gas. And also there was cash back as well in relation to it. So I was able to go with... That morning when I arrived in my 70D and by the time I got to the afternoon shoot, I had a brand new 60. So I'd moved from crop sensor to full frame in the course of two hours that I didn't know I was going to be doing that morning. And I got the camera basically for a song because it was on such a a good deal in relation to it. So that was a, a horror story in relation to it. But I've had far too many good stories i suppose it wouldn't be fair on all of the good things that i've had just to pick one one. Uh, but yeah from the most part yeah i think everybody has had at one point if you shoot in water and you shoot near the sea you are going to get your gear i've replaced the guts of my 6d mark ii twice so far because of salt water (laughs) yeah yeah and I, i it got a bit of a not a drenching but it got it got a light spray I'll say I I got drenched. I I was wet as, but the camera itself seemed to have survived. It's still working. We'll see how long it takes till the uh, corrosion kicks in. Fingers (laughs) crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. Like rust is a fungus, so it basically will eat and eat until it eats away that transistor or resistor, and then all of a sudden that's it. So I I might get a week or two out of it if I'm lucky. (laughs) Hopefully, you get a bit more. Hopefully more. more. Yeah, hopefully a bit more. But yeah, um, you know, it's funny you say that. I had an, an Osmo Pocket. I still have the Osmo Pocket. Still, I gave, I gave it to my wife because I've upgraded. I'm actually recording here on the Osmo Pocket 3 because it connects up as a, a webcam as well. Okay. But yeah. I had the, the Osmo Pocket and loved that camera. And I was down in Killarney and I was shooting and I put it on a tripod on a holder and all of a sudden I looked around and it was gone. 
and it had fallen off the tripod into the lake and it was black water lake when you uh, kind of yep, got yep. black. So it was in the water for, I'd say, two minutes. And I was with my hand trying to find it. I couldn't see where it was. <clears throat> Took it out. All right, that's goose anyway. So I brought it home, put it up into the hot press, yep. put it in rice, put it in a bag, put it in the hot press. I went back a week later, still dead. And I went, all right, that's that goose. And then I forgot all about it. I said, okay, it's gone. And two months later, I came back, turned it on, it worked. Wow. And it has worked ever since. Cool. So that's the difference. <laughs> if you're going to drop your camera into water. Yeah, fresh water. Don't, uh, exactly. Don't let it be salt water. Yeah. 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 Well, unfortunately, I can't rinse the insides out with uh, with fresh water. No, I, I, I still have my 70D. It's up in the shelf here. I just keep it as a memento. And I look at it and go, my God, yeah, it's destroyed. But you know. well, while we're talking about bad times, how do you push past things like creative blocks, imposter syndrome, et cetera, those times when photography is all too much? Okay, uh, yeah, I think that's got to get to do with mindset as well. Again, similar to what we would have said earlier on, but I sure. think from a creative block point of view, it's pivot. So if you're constantly taking the same photograph and the same type of photography, then do something different, but it involve your camera or put your camera down, go out for a walk, don't bring your camera and you'll pretty soon quickly go, damn, I wish I had my wish camera. camera. Look what's happening over here. Yeah. Like it's about change, but they say a change is as good as a rest. I think creative block, writer's block are things that can happen very easily. It's like Groundhog Day, right? The movie Groundhog Day as well. If you're doing the same thing over and over again, it just becomes monotonous. But again, I think it was Einstein said, if you're doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result is a sign of insanity because you're going to do the same thing and you're going to get the same results. So if you've always done what you've always done, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got, right? So do something different. Look at things that are different. Uh, I find that from the filmmaking point of view, I love watching movies in a way that I never watched them before because now I'm watching them and how they made the movie. And I'm seeing the dolly zoom that they've done here or the pan that they've done there or the transition or the whip pan that they've done there. And I'm going, yeah. okay, I like that. That's given me an idea for when I want to go take another film or a YouTube video. From a photography point of view, look at different genres. And I think you'll find different aspects in other people's photography that's going to help you. That's going to give you that impetus to try something different. But I think the best way to get to get over creative block is stop doing what you're doing. Put the camera away. Separate yourself in relation to it. And you'll either miss it, or if you don't miss it, then you don't miss it. I have no problem saying, okay, I'll put the camera down for a month and then see how you feel after a month. Even now that I'm doing this full-time, I kind of go, can I afford to do that? I can't afford to do that, but if I need to do that, I'll do that because it's going to be more beneficial. It's more detrimental for me to do the same over and over. Yeah, to go out in the bad in, in a bad mindset, I, I totally agree with you. To get out there yeah. with your mind in the wrong place is yes. exactly the wrong thing to do. Yes. And I think, look, photography, like I said, from the outset, has so many advantages. It has so many things that it brings to us. Let Allow it to do that. Allow it to transport you. If you're always looking at landscape photography, then okay, 
Go online and start following some portrait photographers. Go online and start following some minimalist photographers, some abstract photographers. You yeah. never know where you're going to get inspiration from. Go buy a book. I see you have lots of books behind you here. You're, you've got there because why? You want to learn. You want to be inspired. You want to expand. Do a different genre. Watch some movies. Read about the greats. Read about the likes of Anson Adams and how he was able to take certain shots. Gallon roll. Read about those and, and learn in relation to what motivated them. Because clearly, if you're in a rush, not just in photography, by the way, but in anything, stop what you're doing. Take yeah. a step away yeah. and do and pivot. Don't do something different. And then the other point you asked me about imposter syndrome. I think imposter syndrome is something that not a lot of people understand even when they're in the middle of it. And it's something I think I think recognizing that, I, it is is an important first step too. Like any mental health issue that you have, recognizing yes. it is the first step in getting to help and getting recovery. Yes, and that's where it goes back to my acronym of fear. What's a false expectation appearing real? Imposter syndrome, I think, even I, I give you a simple example. I've got two kids, one is seven, one is nine. And I started already to try and get certain aspects into their mindset, because if they're afraid of doing something, I was like, why are you afraid of doing that? Mm. Because well, if I get it wrong, I said, OK, if you get it wrong, you get it wrong. And then the other guy, one, I got two boys. One is very outgoing. The other one is very shy, although he says he's shy, but he's not when you get to know him. And I said, yeah. dude, I'll give you a, I'll give you a secret in the world everybody else feels exactly the same way as you. Yeah. But you're going to go meet somebody for the first time. They're also feeling shy. They're also feeling nervous. And you know what they need is they need somebody to go, hey, buddy, come here. Mm. And that's what you need. So why don't you help them in relation to it? And then the new got two people. Who are, and now all of a sudden you've got a friend. That's it. So imposter syndrome is something which is a thought. And this is why I said I love NLP, because the thoughts what we have dictate I give you one. Oh, sorry, I, I know I'm probably going off on one here, but um, no, go for it. you never ever hear of anybody saying I was worried so much that I was healthy. Yeah. yeah, I was worried sick because your thought process manifests itself into a physical thing, which is knots in your stomach. Those yeah. knots in your stomach can actually cause issues if you've got it for so long, because your stomach is not working correctly because you're actually feeling so much tension. There are people out there that can turn into cancerous cells in certain situations. It can yeah. turn into other issues in relation to digestive system, in irritable bowel system. It can turn into high blood pressure. It can create into higher heart rates. All of that is all manifested in here. Yeah. And if I turn around to Grant right now, just purely by saying one word, and I say, Grant, there's an unbelievable spider over your right shoulder. I'm sending you in the first place, but if I didn't say that to you, your heart rate's going to elevate because of the words I've said and the thoughts that your mind is associated with it. There's no physical aspect, but your heart rate has raised because of it. So I think the thought process and our mind, that's why I love it because it's so powerful. I read, I do a lot of reading in relation to it, but I still don't have a handle in relation to it. Before I came on the podcast with you and before I do a podcast with anybody else, of course, there's nervous tension there because I want to say, okay, what is the unknown? What's ahead? Yeah. But yeah. 99.99% of the things we worry about never happen. Absolutely. And that's that hindsight thing I spoke about earlier on. But if you could take that and bring that into foresight and go 99.99% of the things I worry about in the future aren't going to happen as well. And what's the worst that could happen? That's it. Let's get back to something a little brighter. Yeah. 
what are your favourite places that just keep calling you back and why do they call you back, the places you like to shoot? Ireland and Ireland. <laughs> and I, I don't say that as a joke. I say it genuinely. You do, we you do have so... the definitive guide to Irish landscape photography. Yes. <laughs> well, I've got eight of them in total, and I've got a few more I need to do too, yeah. But no, I think Ireland is very much so. I'm passionate about it because it's my home country, but I think we are blessed. The west coast of Ireland is absolutely phenomenal. The east coast of Ireland is absolutely phenomenal. The, the south coast is phenomenal. Yeah, the north coast is phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. And then everything in between as well is great too. But I've like, got I've, good I've beer. <laughs> and we've got good beer and we've got good people. There's plenty of crack. It's not the type that you get from Colombia. It's the, the fun. We always joke here in, in a local level is that we're the undiscovered gem, if you want to call it that. Huge amount of workshops going to Iceland, Norway, yeah, or yeah. whatever it may be, Do Dolomites, right? Yeah, they're great. They're iconic areas. You know, the, there's huge mountains there. Absolutely, there is. You get the Northern Lights, you get all the ice in relation to Iceland, you get the volcanoes. We don't have that here, granted. What we do have is a diversity in such a small area that I don't think many other places have. Like you look at, say, for example, Australia. That's a huge continent, right? You want to get to one area, you could be driving for two days if you re if you were that absolutely inclined right, to go to get that shot. <laughs> yes, for here it takes five and a half hours to drive from the top to the bottom of Ireland, yeah. and you know that's going in a straight line. But the challenge that we have in Ireland, I think, is people underestimate as well, is they look at the map of Ireland and go, "That's just a dot, or I'll have that done in two days." <laughs> I'm living here all my life, and I still don't have Ireland done. Because yeah. there's so many different areas that you can get to, but the bigger one is the roads, the challenge to get to areas. You know, you got so many different peninsulas. I could be looking at a peninsula; it's over there. I can see it. It's it over takes there. Three hours to drive there. Yeah. <laughs> Correct, because I have to go all the way back in. I've got to go through these country roads and boreens, which were designed for horse and carts. Yep. And then get out to the other side. Yeah, I think Ireland is always going to be one that draws me back in. But I, a place that I suppose I really enjoyed and i want to go back there again more is scotland so i went to the isle of sky jesus how long ago now a year and a half ago maybe yeah and i loved it i really loved it i thought it was a phenomenal it was like playground for photography it's like something of the lord of the rings it's mordor every corner you turn and then i want to look more along the outer hebrides in that area as well so i want to go back to to Scotland and a place that I actually do want to visit and I've never been there and I call myself a professional photographer and I've never been there but there's good reason as I want to go to Iceland but I don't want to go to Iceland and just do the standard Icelandic Vic and Vesterhorn and stuff like that yeah, for many years yeah Skogafoss and Hegafoss and Disafoss and Miafoss and Uafoss I want to go off the beaten track and one of the the great photographers from Iceland, which is Thor, he's meant, I've mentioned him you know, back and forth many times. I would come visit. Yeah, hey, come visit, come visit. He did it last year with Nick, with Norman, with Peter and Tom. They all went into the Highlands. And I'd love to have done that because that's one of the areas I think which would be completely different. I love that landscape. I think that's something which reminds me of a different planet yeah. and a place that I I want to go visit. So Iceland is on my list for sure. I may be going to Norway in 
February, maybe. I don't know yet. We'll see. That pans out or not. But yeah, Ireland is my answer now for your question. Fantastic. Thank you. We should think about wrapping up shortly. I've got a couple sure. more questions, though. First off, who should I be talking to on the podcast? And again, uh, I'm asking I'm, you to pick a couple of favourites, not you know, not everyone. <laughs> somebody who I think that you would really enjoy a conversation with is a phenomenally talented photographer. He also is based in Ireland. I've had him on the podcast, my own podcast, twice, is Norman McCluskey. Norman is has a phenomenal way about him. His approach to his craft is totally unique. He has done a couple, he's done three books now in total, and each one of those books are absolutely phenomenal. He's one of the few photographers that is successful in having his own gallery. And it's working, and it's working very well. He's one of the people I mentioned there a second ago that went on the trip to Iceland with Thor. Yep. But yeah, Norman McCloskey, I think, is who you should be talking to for sure. I think also as well as somebody, I don't know if you've had him on or not, is somebody who's close to you there, which is Izzy Abuela. I have um, had Izzy on. He was a little while ago now, probably nearly 12 months ago. Okay, yeah. Uh, Izzy is another great guy as well, and he's got a very nice approach to his his seascape. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love his work. Yeah, and if, you'd had, if you hadn't had Mally on already, then of course I would have said Mally. <laughs> yeah, he, he's like you, a great character to talk to and someone who I, I really enjoyed having a conversation yeah. with. He, he's fantastic. Mally is great. Mally yeah. is great. Everybody well, needs a Mally in their lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I've got one more question, and it's the most important one most of my listeners like me to get to the bottom of because it's a, I think it's a, a deep-rooted problem in the photography community that divides us brings some of us together do you like pineapple on pizza no but i do like chocolate on pizza no, I'm only oh, okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah my girls are a fan of the nutella and strawberry pizza mind that yeah that's nice that's actually nice nutella and yeah. strawberry pizza but I, I wouldn't necessarily have a, a bit of chocolate with a mushroom and a ham no, i get you no. <laughs> it's a good question all right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me, Darren. It's been wonderful chatting with you and getting to know you a little bit better. Where can people find your work? YouTube, obviously. Uh, first thing, Grant, thank you very much for having me on. I really enjoyed the conversation. It's been great to be on the other side of the mic. I've enjoyed that relaxing side of things. Like I said, during the chat, it's easy to find me. Just search my name, Darren J. Spoonley, and you will find me. <laughs> yes, exactly. And you know, I remember years ago when I was asked, what does the J stand for? Stand for? And I said, ah, it's Jedi. And it has stuck ever since the amount of people that would say, oh, that's Jedi. So yeah, it doesn't stand for Jedi. It stands for John. But yeah, in the podcast world, it stands for Jedi. Okay. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks so Grant, much. Grant, it's been man. a pleasure. Cheers. Thank you very much, man. Thanks again for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show and keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work and this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Threads, Vero, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram and Facebook. I'm Grant Swinburne. Hope to see you out shooting soon.